The SaaS Universe podcast is brought to you by Efficient Capital Labs. Realize your future revenue today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS Universe podcast. Today, Joseph Abraham, founder and CEO of Startup Atom, has a virtual sit-down with Anthony or Tony Katukaran, founder and CEO of Tagless. Take it away, Joe. Hello and welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, I'm joined today by Tony from Taglaze. And I just want to quickly introduce Tony uh, and Taglaze. So Taglaze is a product merchandising engine that automatically displays products on listing pages uh, based on what's trending in the store, right? So it gives merchandise uh, merchants and, uh, and, and the e-commerce players the ability to instantly control products that they display on the site. And... Um, Interestingly, I met Tony uh, at the co-working space. In fact, we bumped into each other, but never spoke. But I'm glad that we're doing this podcast. So a uh, quick backstory to Tony is before uh, starting Taglis, uh, Tony uh, started his career with G and then moved all the way um, and was a management consultant at Deloitte. It's an interesting story out there. And from there, he uh, started a couple of startups and uh Pivoted to Taglis, right? So that's a little bit about Tony. So, um, Tony, why don't you um, introduce uh, what does Taglis do and who is it for and what does it really solve, right? Uh, what I just did was more, more a monotone version of it, but would love to hear what, what you have to say. Awesome. Thanks, Joseph, for having me on the call. Yes, it's been a long time since we met at the co working space and things have been crazy ever since. So, uh, yeah, my name is Anthony Tony. Uh, friends call me Tony. Customers call me Anthony. Uh, used to be a management consultant. Uh, dug into a couple of e-commerce startups, all of which I guess would technically be called failures. I call them learnings. But finally, I would kind of say that a lot of the experience in those first three startups kind of started becoming the genesis of Tagless. And if you look at Tagless in a layman's world, we are like that person in a shop that rearranges the store every single day based on what they think is moving in the store based on trends of data, right? So in an e-commerce store, a lot of these things are done manually for most of our customers on platforms. Large mm -hmm. players like the Flipkarts, the Amazons, the Walmarts, the world have a whole bunch of data-driven tools. And we extend the same capabilities to mid-market uh, retailers around the world on platforms like Magento, Shopify, and BigCommerce to kind of allow the same sort of user experience at their e-commerce stores at a much more affordable cost. Wow. So it's more personalization and it really helps like uh, scale at the same time. Awesome. So the thing is, again, just to kind of uh, highlight the right? So in e-commerce, we have a lot of words. So personalization is one, merchandising mm -hmm. another one. So we actually, mm -hmm. in the merchandising space, we don't personalize it because for a lot of technical limitations, we don't mm -hmm. do that. Also privacy concerns, we feel that that may not be scalable. So mm -hmm. we are a merchandising solution that lets retailers control products in the front end, either using their inputs or automatically using our algorithms. Oh, okay, got it, got it. Great, so um, going back, Tony, I mean, we have a ritual here in the show. Uh, we like to really understand what's your favorite quote or what's that one thing that, uh, you know, it's like an anchor point for you where you refer and, and feel motivated about. Well, if, I think the, the quote depends on the time of the week or the month of the year, but I can give you like a bunch of things that keep me going usually. So way back in the day, I remember, I think Mr. Narayan Murthy once saying things like, the harder you work, the luckier you get, right? So early on, that kept me running really fast. I think 
there are days, of course, in every entrepreneur's life when you're down in the dumps. And I've, the most famous quote we all live by is, this too shall pass. That's something which I refer to quite often. Uh, right. I would say most recently right now, a friend of mine uh, shared a quote. I mean, he's not a, he's not a superstar or famous person, but a friend of mine said, you got a year 50, no one to get one yes, right? So right now I'm in the sales mode right now. We're actually getting a lot more inbound queries. But this kind of, again, reinforces the faith that, hey, it's not, it's not me that is causing the problem. Sales itself is a problem. It takes a bunch of no's to get to that yes. And no doesn't mean no because of you or your product. It could be a bunch of other factors, right? So right. Uh, I pick a bunch of quotes depending on the, what I'm feeling back then. But I would say right now it's all about the no's because we are pitching to a lot of people. We hear about mm-hmm. the no's and yes, we do get that yes eventually. Awesome. So yeah, I mean, wait for the S's. So um, Tony, um, if you can just quickly take us down the memory lane as to um, what is the aha moment that, that you had in your whole journey that made you like think and, and build a strong, firm conviction around you know, starting this product. So how did it all start? Wow, it's a lot of long journey. So I think uh, a long, uh, there are a bunch of, I would say, inflection points uh, that led to convictions of building a product. It wasn't, Tagless was never the reason why I left my life in the United States and came back to India. I think it was mm-hmm. about trying to build something and provide value to customers because as a management consultant, we ended up selling so many solutions to our customers. And I kind of figured out finally that as long as you can provide and solve a big enough problem to a customer, they're willing to basically pay for it, right? And it's also mm-hmm. at some point, I think personally, I am someone who doesn't like to have someone else control my destiny. So I kind mm-hmm. of figured out that I didn't notice entrepreneurship, but I think I just quit my job because I wanted to kind of do something which I believed in, right? That being mm-hmm. said, I started with a bunch of different things. I, like I said, two e-commerce startups, uh, made a bunch of rookie mistakes uh, in the beginning. Uh, but essentially, in the second startup, we actually built a product, uh, a search product that actually mm-hmm. was much better than some of the searches and many of the most popular sites we have in India. I think by looking at what we built internally in our product, it was a B2C product back then with a very strong search mm-hmm. function. And obviously, at that point, we didn't raise funding. I couldn't raise funding for a bunch of other reasons. In order to survive... I had asked my co-founder, can I take this one product from here, this one piece of code from here and sell mm-hmm. that to the same customers on our platform, right? Mm-hmm. So it was more, I think, a mode of survival. I didn't had no clue what problem we were going to solve, or how much, how big it was, what was the value. It was just that we had something slightly better than the others. And that was how Tagless was started by just trying to solve the problem. And then, of course, after that, we started to figure out how big is the problem, then the question was, how much will someone pay for the problem? Then we started figuring out how do we go to market for the problem? What is product market fit for the problem? So all of these led to us, us eventually becoming a SaaS B2B startup. I mean, you asked me the same questions two years back. I would mm-hmm. not have known the answers, but now I can quite confidently say that we are one of the foremost SaaS B2B products in the e-merchandising space in the world. Awesome. So, I mean, uh, it's it's true because a lot of times life makes sense only in, in, retrospect. in retrospect, yeah, not in prospect, right? So, Absolutely. Uh, so true. So, uh, at this point of time, where are you, um, where's the product at this point of time? So, um, is it now, are you in a mature mature state or are you, are you still in, uh, you know, post-product market fit stage? So I think we've reached product market fit for sure because we clearly have an understanding of who our customers are and the value of the problem for them. 
Uh, we are trying to go and build out our GTM strategies right now. So we're still trying to figure out, okay, so uh, another thing you got to understand is we're a bootstrap company. So whenever mm-hmm. we we try to kind of uh, invest money in a marketing channel, I am forced to think about profitability, customer acquisition costs, lifetime value, right? So at this point, we're actually running a bunch of experiments across a whole bunch of marketing channels in order for us to figure out which one of these channels can be predictable and recurring in nature and making sure that our LTV to CAC ratios are profitable, right? So we've definitely reached the PMF stage. We have, we've been hiring people. We're still looking to hire demand generation people right now. But mm-hmm. we're trying to get to the next stage, which is building out a GTM. Uh, and also in parallel, we're building out a customer success and customer support teams as we speak. Awesome. So um, in terms of, um, you said you just, I mean, you have achieved your product market fit. So what's the metric that you're tracking that makes you feel that you have reached there? So this will really help our, our listeners to understand how do, they, how do they do it, especially early stage founders. So I think uh, one is understanding your customer persona. And for me, product market fit is consumption metrics. I look at basically how many times our businesses actually come to our dashboard. So as a product, if our customers want to extract maximum value from us, and this might change from everybody uh, in in the market, right? But for us, they got to actually come and use our product. It is something which is part of the workflow. So unless we see the users coming into our dashboard and using the product at least once a week, that is, if that happens, it's a good sign. It doesn't happen to the bad sign. So when I say we reach product market fit, almost all of the customers that have been onboarded by our onboarding team, if they start mm-hmm. coming into a dashboard at least once a week to use the dashboard, that means we've reached product market fit with that segment of customers. And as you also understand, as we keep scaling up, so again, as a product, we've gone through a journey where we initially served, I would say, small customers in India. Then we went to mm-hmm. medium customers in India. Then we went to like slightly enterprise customers in India. But what mm-hmm. works as an enterprise customer in India will not work for a mid-market customer in Australia, right? Mm-hmm. So every every stage is about a new PMF you got to keep going because now we're trying to go to mid-market and enterprise. And eventually, mm-hmm. like I said, that'll be another stage of PMF. But as of right now, in the mid-market stage, I think we quite reached there. So true. I mean, I think most of the founders, uh, they just have one rule book or probably one metric and they keep measuring it over and over again. But I love what you just shared about segmented PMF, uh, which I think is a great way to go about. So in terms of, uh, I mean, we use the word customer a lot. So who's your typical customer and what's the average contract value like and what, what's, what do you expect out of an ideal customer? Awesome. So uh, we are, as, as a product, we are confined to three platforms right now. We work with uh, Magento, which is now owned by Adobe. We work mm-hmm. with Shopify and we work with BigCommerce. Across these three platforms, our ideal customer typically does anywhere between $1 million to about $6 million in online revenue, right? So mm-hmm. we don't have access to their offline revenue. But for example, in India, like Apollo Pharmacy, which is probably the largest pharmacy chain in Asia, is our mm-hmm. customer in the online space, Right. So for me, this is the kind of the online customer size would be typically between one million to about six million dollars per month of online. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. And uh, I, if I can also add to that, Joseph, sorry I didn't uh, complete. So that's that's basically I would say more of the merchant size. But again, in right. the merchant, there are so many potential stakeholders that care about the problem we're solving. So for us, right. the person, the team that we tend to talk to is someone in the cat the 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 category management team or the e-commerce team specifically, and in some cases, the marketing team. The common thread across all these three people are they care about conversion rate, revenue, and visitor engagement. 
So typically, mm-hmm. for example, the technology team is somebody we don't talk to because they're more of enablers that help integrate with us, but not really the ones using the product uh, whose KPIs are going to be defined by their team. Sure. Awesome. So I think it gives a sense of who your ideal customer profile within the ideal customer account is, right? So awesome. And uh, so I'm just curious to know, how did you get your first 10 customers, right? Because that's the, like, it's, it's causing the chasm, right? So you, you got to get your first 10, then you want to move to the next, right? So how did you do that? I mean, what was your journey like? And uh, how did you get your first 10 customers? So I think the first uh, first in had a bunch of things uh, which happened. So the first three or four customers, I had to hustle my way through it. Uh, mm-hmm. Literally, I remember we sent out an email to about uh, five, 6,000 merchants across India and we had two replies and we converted one uh, way wow. early on. And there was again a very large jewelry chain in the country. Uh, but mm-hmm. the thing again, as a product, we realized that to start getting customers that met this ICP, we mm-hmm. need to build credibility, Right. Because we are a product that is in direct line of uh, in the path of revenue for the customer or the merchant. So they have to trust us. So mm-hmm. if you started going to really small customers, you could have sold really easily because the price points would be slow but, and they wouldn't really care about it. But to the ideal customer we wanted to go, we had to basically get a large brand because that's brands build trust. Brands are nothing but examples of trust. So when we got our first large customer, we used them pretty much as an example to say, hey, by the way, so-and-so is trusting us. Why can't you trust us? Because mm-hmm. everybody cares about who else is using you. Uh, and also, I believe that a, cust- a product is only as good as a customer perceives it to be. You can have mm-hmm. any amount of AI, any amount of back-end technology scalability, but if the customer mm-hmm. thinks the product's not good, it is not good, right? So on the other hand, when we had this particular customer rave about a product publicly, it started building us trust. And what also mm-hmm. happened at that point was the customer had an agency in the beginning that saw us working with the customer, solving the problem, seeing the business impact. And when the agency wanted to basically, you know, work with three other customers, they referred us to the process here, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of our customers came in through referrals from our primary customers or from agencies we worked with. And that's been mm-hmm. the case even to which until today. Like even this morning, we had a customer of ours of Australia that actually mm-hmm. referred us to another agency of theirs in Australia that has given us another door to open right now. So we've been quite fortunate to grow organically using referrals. I think that the key would be a high NPS score, but we've mm-hmm. not actually spent the, the, the time and the money in marketing, which is the current challenge we're trying to solve right now. Okay. So, I mean, uh, this is quite interesting in terms of what you just shared, like uh, growing organic, right? And um, a lot of times there's this um, wrong idea and notion that you got to like really pump in the marketing dollars right in the beginning. But I think to get product market fit, it's all about you going out there and very intentionally trying to find the right kind of customers, which is what you did. And uh, so uh, my quick question there is that, uh, when you were actually actually doing this, right? I mean, you know, we just started with this quote that you you shared in the beginning. You would have got a lot of lot of rejections and no's, right? So how did you really sail through? Uh, how did you really keep yourself uh, motivated to keep to keep yourself in the game, right? So that's a key question I wanted to ask. Right. So uh, actually, early on, we didn't get a lot of rejection because most of our customers came in through referrals. Uh, so right. like I said, at that point, people did come through a customer that actually used the product. So for the most part, and we as a product have a 20-day free trial. So it's almost mm-hmm. as much like, hey, if you have the problem, you can trust us because XYZ is using us. 
Try it for 28 days. It doesn't work. Uninstall it. You don't lose anything, right? So early mm-hmm. on, it wasn't that bad. I think today, because our SEO team has done a fabulous job of actually getting visibility out there, we have customers coming in from the Netherlands, prospects coming in from the Netherlands, from Australia, from Canada, right? And they've mm-hmm. only heard about us right now. So mm-hmm. I think now we're getting a lot more no's, which I tell my team is a great problem because I mm-hmm. think the more no's I'm hearing basically means the word is spreading out more and more, right? So right. that is actually happening only now, but not early on. Awesome. So, um, oh, and the other question uh, I want to also add to Joseph is, so I think there is this notion about, you know, start growing really fast, right? And I would right. say that early on, yes, in, in search of product market fit, we had delayed a lot of our marketing activities. But for example, the last one month, like me and my co-founder were talking about it, and I think it was a great thing not to kind of spend money in marketing early on, because mm-hmm. let's say that we start pumping money early and it starts working, your GTM starts cr- cracking in, your top of the funnel opens up and you have leads and customers flowing in, right? Now, right. what I didn't realize is a product, like I said, as comprehensive as ours with three different products solving multiple problems, there's also a lot of support we offer. One of the things which also really helped us grow to what we are right now is we have a fabulous support team because again, mm-hmm. I can say the customer's a product is only as good as the customer perceives it to be. And unless a customer is going to get the support from our team to understand how to use the product to the best of their ability, it is not going to work for them. So because we're now building a customer support team, and yes, it does take time to train these people on the product, understand the customer's problems, and be empathetic, right? So if we had brought in 100 customers 10 months back, there is no way a customer support team could have actually served it back then because we are much smaller back then. But today, we're trying to invest ahead of the curve coming up right now, get a strong customer success team, get a strong customer support team, then let's try filling up the funnel on top, because then you will not have a leaky bucket. True. So true. So I think I love what you just shared, because, um, I mean, if you're listening to this, I, I, I think you should really note, because uh, what Tony just shared is powerful. Build the foundation first before you serve customers. A lot of times you really like open the floodgates and then people arrive and and companies arrive and you don't have a way to really like uh, serve them. Right. And the other part was also about adoption and retention. So uh, f- now help them to adopt to the product and use the product and find ROI. Most of the time it's self-serve and we, we yeah, in the SaaS world, um, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, um, feel that self-serve is a great way to go about. But in the early stage, I think you really need to like, uh, give the support, and I think it's it's fabulous what you just shared. So, what's your key learning uh, so far, Tony, in in this journey? Right, I mean, as an entrepreneur with with a couple of other companies that you just started and products that you that you started, and right now Taglist. What's been your key learning as an entrepreneur? So, I think uh, again, depends on the day and the the month you ask me, right? But for right. me, it, I think again. Just as a philosophical statement, and this again goes to, I think, a book I was reading lately, right? I think mm-hmm. there's every night there are going to be problems. There's never going to be a day without problems. But I think the key is, do you enjoy solving these problems? So again, today as a company, we go through a lot of problems. And I think these are good problems to have. I mean, not having problems itself is a bad problem, right? And I think for me, it's all about prioritizing and figuring out which problem do I want to solve. Like today, because we're growing in team, we're having like, I think hiring is now my biggest problem. Trying Mm -hmm. to to find the right set of people with the right cultural set, the right fit. It's not just about skill sets. It's about soft skills. It's about empathy. So right now, this is a problem I enjoy solving. 
But I would say that early on, I would try to solve every problem. And sometimes when you don't enjoy solving some problems, you kind of get frustrated and you don't enjoy the journey, right? Because mm-hmm. I would say in our lives, I mean, it's about delayed gratification always. But you need sure. to enjoy the present. If you don't enjoy the present, there's no point running this journey at all. And for me, one of the biggest learnings right now is try and find problems you enjoy solving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So um, interesting uh, you know, question that just popped in my head as you just were like speaking was about hiring the right team, right? So uh, what do you look for in, in, in you know, what's the construct for you to hire the right person, right? What should, what's the non-negotiable for you? So I think the ability to work in a chaotic, unorganized environment and roll up your sleeves and think like an entrepreneur, right? Essentially, you, we all want right now at an early stage, many entrepreneurs inside the company and trying to find those traits. It's very hard to kind of say what, there's no checkbox out there, but you try and listen to signals and signs and the questions of the candidates, whether or not they will be able to kind of think independently. That is, mm-hmm. I think, the most important thing. Can you actually think independently? Can you make mistakes really quickly? Are you afraid to make mistakes, right? Uh, if you made a mistake, how, how did you correct the mistake? So we understand all of us have made mistakes, but somehow I feel that a lot of people shy away from mistakes. But for me right now, I want to have people that are going to acknowledge that they're going to make mistakes, be open about it to me, and also kind of show me a path how they're going to resolve it as quickly as possible. So in general, across all functions, there are skill sets I want, but I also want the entrepreneurial trait inside them because that defines everything right now for me in the early team. Absolutely. So I think that's the question I was asking. What's the core thing that you're looking for? So... Uh, what's the future of Taglays and where do you see it going? And uh, what's the future of e-commerce in general? And how does Taglays fit into it? So fortunately or unfortunately, thanks to COVID-19, I think we've had a fairly large bump increase in the, the adoption of online commerce, right? So the market mm-hmm. is kind of definitely exploded. I don't have statistics of how much has grown, but I would say on average, our customers have seen about 30, 40% of incremental revenue just in the last couple of months compared to the previous years they've had so far. Right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. as a product with Tagless, we will continue remaining in the merchandising space. We definitely will expand across platforms for sure. But we are going to be sticking with the mid market and continue moving up market if required. I don't think as a company we're going to ever start serving, I would say, the small and medium sized segment because I would mm-hmm. say the DNA in us as founders is to start serving mid market customers. I mean, it just so happens that when we had shown the product of Tagless two years back to one of our advisors, Mm-hmm. It almost, and we were serving small customers back then. And his immediate feedback was, this is like an enterprise grade product, right? So mm-hmm. I think maybe it's because of an engineering backgrounds as kids in India, or maybe it's because the management consulting background, what I've been exposed to in the past. But it mm-hmm. just so happens that both the founders start thinking and we just start designing products that are meant for the mid-market segment. So there's also mm-hmm. a thing called the founder market fit I strongly believe in. And I think mm-hmm. that we want to start moving towards that market that we quite well fit in, besides just the product market fit. Awesome. Awesome. And so I have one last question for you. So if you had to really give advice to the 20-year-old Tony, what would that be? It would be never get the job, don't get employed, start early, make mistakes early. I think I, I, I think getting a job gets you sucked into that, that routine of being becoming comfortable and mm-hmm. unlikely to take a risk until something really bad hits you, right? But I think early on, if we had just taken a chance to try and taste the 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 feeling of being an entrepreneur, it's, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think for me, I would have probably been addicted to it if I tried it early on. But uh, 
most of our days we 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 are given a path by other people to follow and we're just going kind to of put on the train and say run with it right so i Absolutely. think uh, yeah i would go back and say don't take the job just start trying right now okay so don't take the job and start early right so that's those are the the the, the parting words here so thanks tony so much for joining in and um, it was fun doing this with you in fact uh, this is my first founder interview i've i've interviewed experts before but uh, i mean it's an honor to have you on the show thanks so much and uh, we'll keep connecting right thank you thanks joseph and i really appreciate taking the time to speak with me looking forward to catching up with you at some point in the future thank you so much Thanks take care bye That's all for today folks thank you for tuning into the SaaS Universe podcast and remember if you're looking for non-dilutive capital to help grow your business efficient capital labs is here to help with their unique approach you can receive up to 75% of your projected revenue as upfront capital and all within just 3 days so don't wait head to www.ecaplabs.com to learn more and get started today Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time on the show.